In this country, we believe that there should be freedom for all, even though not all of us believe in it. Join Tom and Chase as they explore politics, economics, and everything else that threatens your individual liberty. This is The Briefing Podcast. Alright guys, we are live, Free For All episode 17. Thank you guys for tuning in for another episode of the Free For All podcast. Thanks for continuing to support us. I know there's a lot of you guys that listen to us every week, and I really appreciate that. Uh, as always, you'll find our show wherever you listen to your podcast, whether that's YouTube, Spotify, Google Play, or Apple Podcasts. Please also remember to like and subscribe to the show, as well as follow our social media accounts. Uh, we're on Instagram at Free For All Podcasts and Twitter at FFA Podcast 1776. Yeah, thanks for tuning in, guys. Uh, so this week, we wanted to share a clip with you guys uh, from Eric July's show called For Cannon's Sake. It's his podcast that he does on pretty much a weekly basis. Um, we've spoken about Eric July as well as uh, his show quite a bit on this show in the past. And uh, on one of his recent episodes relating to the uh, State of the Union address, uh, he left a lot to be discussed and broken down in terms of how the address went and just the sheer multitude of bullshit claims that were made during the address, as well as a lot of the lies that the Biden administration and the mainstream media included are continuing to perpetuate. Um, so we're going to go ahead and run that clip for you guys now for you guys to listen to. And then uh, we'll get into some of the talking points after that. So the network polled itself and according to the poll that it itself ran for itself. And according to their own poll, the CBS News poll, uh, they thought that, you know, a high percentage of it approved it. Now, the reason why I bring this up, because, you know, of course, this is the most popular president of all time. If you went stream to stream, no matter where this stream was housed, and I'm pretty sure the content creators have brought this up, this, this address got ratioed to the absolute oblivion. A lot of smoke and mirrors. Stuff don't add up. So you got to take polls with a grain of salt. But that's what's going to make the headlines for sure when it comes to these uh, brands of mainstream media and publications. Now, they're not going to leave with most popular president gets ratioed everywhere online, but he is the most popular president of all time. And uh, the, the 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 election was 100 uh, percent legitimate. There was no flaky stuff uh, involved or anything in democracy is just a fantastic thing uh, in which freedom always prevail when the majority of people um, get to vote on a particular thing. It's not mob rule by anything. It's not sheep or rather wolves deciding on what to eat for dinner, though they outnumber the sheep. That's not at all. All right. Yeah. So, um, just right out of the gate, you know, Eric starts to address the poll that CBS news, uh, ran for itself that claims an overwhelming 89% of Americans approved of the state of the union address and the Biden administration's performance thus far. Uh, he says that polls really should be taken with a grain of salt. And it's important for everybody to remember that most of the mainstream media uh, present textbook confirmation bias. This goes for both sides of the aisle. So you're talking about like CNN and Fox News both combined. Um, and it goes for, for both sides of the aisle much of the time. Um, but the left is particularly good at this. The mainstream media will look for members of its audience to poll that it knows will give them the answers that they want. And the sample size is typically very, very small. To reach in a, a quote-unquote 89% approval, for instance, all CBS would have to do is pull 1,000 individuals that it believes would nine times out of 10 give them the answer that they want. 
And if at least 890 of those individuals say that they agree, they will then say it is representative of the entirety of America, which we all know it isn't. Um, Tom and I sure as hell weren't pulled and asked for our opinions, and clearly neither was Eric. Polls are also typically done by polling in statistics bureaus, not by the news outlet itself. The news outlet claiming an almost 89% approval of uh, the State of the Union address uh, for a president who three weeks ago had the lowest approval rating of any president ever is pretty stupid. And so uh, Eric then goes on to uh, bring up the fact uh, that the stream of the State of the Union address, as well as almost all of the tweets um, from the at POTUS Twitter account during the address were ratioed into absolute oblivion. That's the way that he put it. Uh, we realize that some of our audience may not uh, understand or be familiar with the term ratio. So essentially what ratio means when you're discussing tweets or any form of uh, social media or broadcast is that um, the likes and reposts of the content were essentially outnumbered by the comments made against the post. So like, for instance, if I tweeted taxation is theft and the communists rated my mentions like they tend to do um, and were commenting all over it, meanwhile, the tweet itself only got 12 likes and 20 retweets and the comments number 50 to 60, people would say that the tweet itself got ratioed. Um, in essence, CBS News basically wants to claim an overwhelming 89% of Americans agreed with the State of the Union address. Meanwhile, uh, pretty much every tweet and even the stream itself was ratioed into oblivion on social media, um, meaning that something here doesn't add up. And so yeah. if you paid any attention to these tweets made during or after the address, most of the comments are from people uh, who were very pissed off about it. But they're hidden way at the bottom of the comments section on all of these tweets. Um, the comments that are readily visible, if you if you click on them and read through comments, are all comments that are quote unquote supportive of Biden and the State of the Union address. But every single one of those accounts that commented in support has sub twenty five followers in total, um, and they're accounts that are very recent as well. So they're. You're talking about Twitter accounts that have only been in existence for maybe a couple months or even a couple weeks. Um, and so when you see accounts like this, odds are that they're bots and they're not actual people. You can even tell this by the way that a lot of the tweets are even written. Um, the promoted replies don't sound intelligent at all. They don't sound like they were written by an actual person. Um, many of the tweets come from accounts with no bios or um, default profile pictures. Uh, they're very low IQ tweets. For instance, the uh, at POTUS account tweeted during the State of the Union about Biden's statements on gun control in quotes. They quoted uh, what he said during the State of the Union. And there are replies from bot accounts all over that tweet. One of them simply said, I am gun owner. I agree. Um, no one realistically believes an actual person wrote this. It's just further proof that absolutely nobody uh, agrees with the senile old man in the Oval Office who doesn't have a clue what the hell he's doing. So much so that they've generated literal bot accounts to to voice support online to convince to essentially convince everybody that there are actually people who agree with anything that he says. Yeah, and a lot of what these Democrats post is getting ratio nowadays. A lot of the mainstream stuff that you're talking about, a lot of comments and stuff, and not a lot of likes is. Just people talking shit, obviously. Uh, but yeah, a lot of times it is bots. So uh, I remember when 
Trump was president, every post he made on Instagram before he got banned from pretty much all social media, there were just bots. And most of the time it's like fake. And I, I follow like uh, famous accounts now where they post the same thing. It's just like, hey, I'm single. Uh, look at my pictures or go to my OnlyFans or whatever. And it's all just like there's like 300 of them posting this. So it's 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 not real people. They all post the same stuff or like the same amount of emojis or like the same things. And it's it's gross. And social media, what's funny is they'll go out of their way to ban specific things. And then also they'll allow all this shit to get through. But uh, I just wanted to talk about. So there's this guy on Instagram and TikTok, and he goes by Wurzel Root, and he posted a video talking about how there's a website that actually tracks the YouTube likes and dislike ratios. Well, not the ratios, but the numbers in real time. And um, I forget if it was this past address by Biden or one before that, but this website basically showed that the like to dislike ratio was extremely negative so there are a bunch of thumbs down on it and it went from extremely negative to extremely positive almost instantly and it, it's so obvious what they're doing and it's so sad that even within the confines of their own system uh so you know remember you think about youtube they're posting a fauci and cnn the democrats on their home page trying to get people to watch all that shit and they got to rig the game but they're also doing it in real time now. So it's funny that they set the rules for the terms of service and what should and shouldn't be on the platform. And they put liberally slanted news on the front and Biden there too. Yet they still have to rig the game in real time to make their agenda seem better, look Biden look stronger or whatever. And they're not even going by all the times what the terms of service are or they're interpreting them weird. And like I said, uh, Dorsey got grilled on that, uh, on Rogan, I believe with Tim pool. Uh, yeah. So sometimes another thing that the YouTube channels will do, and it's been happening lately with these news channels, uh, like, you know, CNN, MSNBC, or like the Hill or Washington Post or whatever, posting stuff on their YouTube channel, they'll, they'll disable the likes and dislikes. So, you know, obviously you can't see. Uh, you know, ahead of time, you pretty much have to watch the whole video to see whether or not it's good. And there's no real, um, I, I don't know if it, the algorithm bumps up videos that have a lot of likes or whatnot, but obviously this stuff's still getting bumped to the top. And sometimes they'll even disable their comments. And almost always it's, it's so obvious, like this, this is a video that's either overwhelmingly bad or it's something that's debunked. And that's why they want to disable the comments, just disable, uh, any argument against it. And the same argument against uh free speech is they just want to get rid of uh all dissent uh but you know it, it, this is exactly what a lot of these news outlets are doing and in the case of the biden video they obviously left the likes, likes and dislikes up to uh look good a bit they had to keep fixing it to maintain it to make it look good yeah and so Eric also mentions that Biden was supposedly uh, clearly the winner of the election and that he, he is the most popular president in U.S. history. And again, uh, recent polls show he has the lowest approval rating of any president in U.S. history in his first 100 days. And that seems rather odd considering he received the most votes, quote unquote, a presidential candidate has ever had in history, right? And so... Mm. <laughs> 
Eric then claims uh, that he believes the State of the Union address was a lot of smoke and mirrors. And I want to kind of throw this back to our episode last week in which we analyzed that video of Charlie Chester of uh, CNN who discusses with an undercover reporter uh, on multiple different occasions about how CNN and big name mainstream media outlets will lie and spin stories to make it seem like they have valid points as well as make it seem like they're correct and everybody else is wrong and you'd be a fool not to believe them. They pick and choose the information that they report on so that they can lead people to believe things that are verifiably false. Um, And in the last section of that video, uh, Eric also goes on to briefly discuss the election results and how laughable they were in terms of believability based on what we've seen play out so far. And it's important to remember that the disputed claims of election fraud are still being investigated in states like Arizona, where there are still vote audits being conducted. Uh, Many other states like Florida this past week are uh, passing harsher voting laws to ensure that the election fraud on the scale that we witnessed six months ago can't ever happen again. And many, uh, if not most Americans, still do not believe Biden to be a legitimate president. And there are obviously very good reasons for this based on all of the shady shit that uh, happened during the actual election. Um, Obviously, we had midnight ballot dumps, uh, observers being asked to leave, you know, things like that. Yeah. And I've heard the claims and seen videos of stuff like that happening, not only in this election, but the last one. And it's unfortunate that most of the claims didn't hold up in court. Uh, Unfortunately, it seemed like it was a lot of hearsay and Obviously, our court system is pretty prone to manipulation. If you guys saw our last episode about the Derek Chauvin trial, you'd know a little bit more about that, but (laughs) just trying to plug that. But um, yeah, obviously, the courts are just going to do whatever is politically convenient. And if they're getting pressure by the Democrats, then they're just going to fold to whatever they say. But Obviously, there's an issue with voter ID in this country, or at least, you know, people say it's a big issue. Um, And, you know, non-citizens being able to vote in places like California, I I think is a big issue. And, you know, the the existence of mail-in ballots, in my opinion, will always create a huge loophole for fraud. So, you know, whether it's a guy on the street offering you a couple hundred for your unmarked ballot. And I, I heard this was reported on in Minnesota. Supposedly a worker for Ilhan Omar was exposed for paying somebody like $200 or something for a ballot on the street. And, uh, you know, you know whether it's something like that that's really organized or whatever, it's got money behind it, or it's just somebody in your family spitefully voting for another person in your name. You know, they see your ballot, grab it, mail it out before you can see it. Or, you know, there's a mass scale mailing of absentee ballots to people who did not request them. Like in Pennsylvania, we saw that people were getting absentee ballots and they didn't even request them, which is supposedly against the law there. But I don't think anybody got in trouble for it. Yeah. And so we've obviously hammered on this point before, but we'll take we're going to take the opportunity to do so again in this episode. Uh, democracy is not something to be celebrated or put on a pedestal like many people want to do. Democracy is two wolves and a sheep, like Eric said, deciding on what is for dinner. Um, It has no place in modern politics, and especially when the current political climate is so polarized that um, people on the opposite side of the aisle want everybody who doesn't agree with them 
censored dead or uh, imprisoned for thinking differently. Yeah, it's really tough pill to swallow, obviously. Like I've said in previous episodes, that's uh, something that we're taught from a young age to really hold near and dear to our hearts and value. And this is one of the greatest achievements of mankind or whatever. But more and more people are just beginning to see that recently with all the division and a lot of people believing there's election fraud and then the issue of you know these social media companies and uh, just economic issues and the virus uh, wanting to be open and not. People are seeing balkanization or just like the country breaking up as more and more of a potential solution because they're not really seeing a light at the end of the tunnel when it comes to democracy. You know, I I was talking about how people see voting as like a civic duty and they think it's benign or some bullshit like that. But really, voting is pretty much deciding over your rights and the rights of others. So voting's not benign when people want to make me a felon for owning a a specific kind of firearm or uh, somebody smoking a plant or whatever. And I just think voting is kind of just the lazy man's way of stealing from others in terms of uh, social programs and stuff like that, or kind of like the child's mentality of everything I don't like must be banned. Yeah. And um, so the other topic that we kind of wanted to discuss that sort of just goes hand in hand with the State of the Union address were uh, the comments made by South Carolina Senator uh, Tim Scott in response to the State of the Union address in which he claimed that America is not a racist country. Um, That's a quote. And uh, like Biden likes to say, it is. And so the leftist response to those comments was essentially um, they took to Twitter and got the hashtag Uncle Tim trending. Keep in mind that uh, Twitter monitors hashtags that trend on its platform. And uh, this blatantly racist hashtag wasn't removed by Twitter. In fact, sat at the number one trend slot for almost 24 hours. Twitter likes to brand itself like uh, like it cares so much about being anti-racist and that it doesn't promote hate speech or tweets about violence or anything like that. And yet this hashtag was not censored or removed, probably because uh, it's leftists being racist towards a black Republican senator. If it was an attack on a black Democrat, the goalposts would would have been moved accordingly uh, and the hashtag more than likely would have never trended in the first place. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. it's so obvious again and this definitely isn't the first time i remember uh they censored the hashtags and by banning them or shadow banning people's profiles all the way back in the 2016 election and uh for anybody who doesn't know who shadow banning is uh it's it's when a social media network basically makes it harder for your posts to show up in other people's feeds uh so just uh even sometimes your followers it doesn't show up Supposedly, a lot of people I see on certain profiles will be like, oh, I haven't seen your posts show up in my feed for a few days. And like sometimes something will show up at the top of my feed and it's like two days old. I'm like, what the hell? Um, But a lot of times it's not chronological what shows up in your feed. It's based upon whatever their algorithm is. And Instagram changed that a while ago. So I think most social media networks are like that now. So they just kind of can decide whatever you see and... Like I said, it's it's never really what's recent, but just just the fact that they're selectively enforcing their rules, really not even a, in accordance with their terms of service. A lot of times, it it's just it's either 
really ambiguous or uh, they give themselves freedom in their in their wordage to where they can kind of basically discriminate against people, but they don't call it that. They just say they're uh, taking off hate or whatever. But it's so obvious. It, it really shows when you have a, a, a leftist racist hashtag like this trending. Like it's so obvious that the goalposts are different, um, and it's just basically like Democrats are dunking on the little kids' basketball hoop when they post. They can just post the most uh, low hanging fruit shit. And then it seems like their stuff's all over the internet somehow, and it's breaking the internet. It's viral. It's whatever. Um, and Republicans are having to make this half court shot to even get by in Twitter and YouTube and get uh, thousands or millions of views. Yeah, and they um, obviously we were just talking about Eric July. Um, his profile has been shadow banned numerous times to the point where. Um, even if you searched his name on social networks, it was hard. It was hard or almost impossible to find him. Um, they also shadow ban people. Um, so another way that they do this is basically like if I'm following somebody and they shadow ban their profile, what will happen is sometimes they will uh, like Twitter will unfollow me from the person's account who is shadow banned so like the, I, i've heard of that yeah so like i've been on twitter before and and um like i'm not on there every day some days i'm on there more than others um but like sometimes when i'll go on there i'll be like wow i haven't seen this person's tweets in a while and i'll go and search for their profile and it says that i unfollowed them and i'm like i never unfollowed this person and then it's like if i scroll down through their tweets i find out that they got shadow banned and my account was unfollowed from theirs uh, simply because they were shadow banned by Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or, or whatever it is. Um, well, but the, that happens with all my exes. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, the, the irony in all of this is simply the fact that Senator Scott was proven wrong by the very political party that constantly wants to virtue signal itself as being champions of racial equality and being anti-racist. We've said on this show previously, and we'll continue to say it now and in the future, that Democrat anti-racism is just blatant and outright racism. They literally attacked a black man for the color of his skin simply because he disagrees with a, with a mainstream ideology. And it's like, what sense does that make, especially coming from the people that literally want to champion themselves as the, the party of Black Lives Matter and, uh, <laughs> and all these other um, anti anti-racist violence and and anti this anti that kind of stuff um and then they're going to turn around and do the exact same thing that they want to grill everybody else for doing yeah we've we've spoken a lot about the many failures that are uh, you know kind of kind-hearted or sound kind-hearted but are really detrimental to particularly minorities and Especially in this uh, Tim Scott example, they're really constantly uh, exhibiting prejudice against people for their skin color. So they use your skin color to prejudge how disadvantaged you are in life. Uh, they automatically think all black people have been fucked over and given the short end of the stick. Which is kind of like you said, and we've said on previous episodes as well, it's racist to be assuming these kinds of things about people. Uh, you're basically assuming someone's means or their abilities are low, most likely lower than they actually are. So, you know, like you said, 
Uh, people get mad when black people are Republican because they think, oh, you know, you, you, you've been miseducated. You shouldn't think that. And it's kind of like, uh, are they really just calling you stupid? You know, it, it's like treating somebody as a kid. And uh, you say voter ID is racist, then why, the, you know, what the hell does that imply about the people that can't get an ID? Uh, how dumb or destitute must you be to not get an ID? And uh, likewise, they think college admissions should be based upon racial quotas. Um, you know, this has been pretty much the case in America for decades. And uh, what does this really say about when you have blacks and Hispanics and they lower the SAT requirements for their admission? They're basically calling them dumber or acknowledging it. And they think it, obviously, because they have to lower the goalposts to get these people in. And, you know, if this was a world absent of government or institutional quotas like this, colleges really wouldn't care what race you are. They just want to care. Uh, they would just really care if you could pay for school and if you're likely to graduate and uphold their reputation as educators. You know, if you're going to go out and use your degree to, do great things or whatever. And even now, colleges really don't even care whether you can afford tuition because the government basically bails out everyone who defaults on student loans. And schools love it because they can jack up their rates, or uh, their tuition rather. And banks love it because the government's basically guaranteeing, guaranteeing them risk-free money uh, at the cost of all Americans because we the taxpayers have to pay it at the end of the day. The liberal, the liberal mentality is obviously to make college free and to get all Americans through that system, um, which, as we've spoken about, isn't really always a system that gives you good education, especially now. Um, but we're already seeing the subs subsidized tuition be a failure. I mean, look, like student debt is skyrocketing. Um, it's increasing at an exponential rate. So. Um, uh, I don't think that anything's being done to really solve it in the current circumstance, and it's actually getting much, much worse. So these quota systems also must not be doing well because of all this income inequality that people always cry about. So, you know, they've been trying to get more minorities in these colleges for decades, like I've been saying, and it's all about this income inequality. It's all about, you know, we don't have these jobs or whatever. Women don't have these jobs. Well, we've had Title IX, Title X, all this other shit, and you're, you're still going to complain that it's so bad and that it's actually getting worse. So I don't understand. Like, does it work or does it not work? We need to address that, you know, whether the systems we already have in place, whether they work before we go on and try to do something greater than that, that would definitely be a lot more detrimental or have at least a lot greater costs, like giving away free college and stuff like that. But the one thing that stands out to me about the quotas um, is obviously they're creating an artificial landscape to where the demographics of the people going to college are different than what they would naturally be. So obviously in economics, this is not equilibrium and, uh, you know, so either something's like misallocated or like costs are wrong. But in this case, like we're seeing, the cost or the uh, the shortcoming or whatever of all this is that 
we're seeing a lot of people, especially minorities, fail out at very high rates, especially within the first two years. And a lot of these quotas are, you know, you want to put more black people in or more Hispanics or less Asians in the case of Harvard. And it's disproportionate to the amount of people of that race or of that race that would go to college. And it, it's actually really regressive and, like I said, racist, obviously, and it's not good. Uh, but I also see this trend when you talk about the media. So shows, commercials, pop stars, etc., they all seem to be disproportionately minority. And I mean, I get it. Minority kids need to feel like they have a chance or whatever. Uh, people need representation or a liberal society or whatever they want to make us. But it seems like in a, a majority like straight white country, or at least currently, um, which the liberals want to demonize, but it is a majority straight white country, I guess for now. Uh, there are a lot of commercials with mixed race or black couples and gay couples, and it seems like way more than the actual proportion of those people within the population. And that's fine. Uh, it's it's so obviously artificial and trendy, but really nobody cares except for the liberals about seeing all these people in these commercials, and it's actually somewhat disgusting. I'm not saying it's disgusting to see these people or to see um you know have more black people go to college i think that's great but when you're artificially pushing them in there and lowering the standards you're saying you're good enough and giving them the false hope but really there a lot of them are going to go in and they're going to fail and this is at a disproportionate amount for the race it, it, it's ironic because liberals act like they're always the ones who love the gays or the blacks uh, and like I said, they're they're pushing them into college just to fail them out, or they're just putting them on commercials to tokenize them. And they always love these gay and black comedies, but they don't realize that all it is is essentially poking fun at minorities and their mannerisms. And a lot of comedy is self-deprecating, and that's what a lot of it is. And a lot of what makes uh, quote-unquote gay or like just like gay characters and shows or whatever funny is very eccentric reactions to things and uh they just think stuff like that's funny and it's almost like you're tokenizing them and it's it's like you're putting them in a zoo almost or make them gladiators or whatever and turning them into something just for entertainment i don't know that's that's just that's just my thought I just want to bring this rant back uh, to an example more recent of a, th of a thing that's definitely going to be detrimental that liberals are trying to do that's supposedly going to help people. Um, so what Biden wants to do now is he's planning on banning flavored tobacco products outright. So this is primarily aimed at targeting menthol cigarettes and uh, I guess menthol jewel probably but it also encompasses flavored cigars. This is just another case of ironic racism by the left, because even though they're supposedly doing this for people's health, uh, even they are claiming that banning these products is good because they disproportionately affect black people. <laughs> so um, even I, like I remember Kamala saying, I don't know if it was one of the debates or something, 
that her and Joe wanted to decriminalize marijuana federally. But if Biden gets his way with this ban on the tobacco products, um, they're going to criminalize millions of people overnight, white or black. Uh, you know, you think police brutality is bad now. Imagine when they ban smoking menthol cigarettes and you get pulled over and cap for smoking a menthol. Uh, or, you know, people uh, using uh, a lot of these flavored tobacco wraps for smoking weed. So it, it's just kind of ironic that, you know, they, they want to get rid of this stuff and they want to decriminalize weed, which I thought used to be used to like people used to demonize that and say that was the devil and uh, smoking cigarettes was fine. And now it's like completely flipped over on its head. Well, it's even more ironic because Camel is the one that uh, imprisoned millions of black folks for smoking weed in the first place and then went on national TV and bragged about uh, listening to Tupac and smoking a joint. Like, it's completely hypocritical uh, at that point, number one, just to say that you're pro-legalization of marijuana when you've jailed millions of people for smoking it, number one. But number two, uh, now claim that you're the champion of African-American health because you're trying to ban uh, cigarettes that supposedly that they like to smoke or or banning quote-unquote flavored cigars that uh, people will gut and, yeah, use to smoke weed or whatever. like. It, it makes literally no sense. Um, and ironically, again, this is coming from the same party of uh, my body, my choice, but it's only that way when it comes to abortion. If you use that same argument in reference to taking an experimental vaccine or uh, for smoking a menthol cigarette, the goalposts get moved um, and you're automatically a criminal who's going to get arrested or uh, inevitably capped by a cop with a God complex. I mean, hopefully not. Republicans wouldn't think so, but Democrats would definitely think you would get shot, especially if you were black and you'd get pulled over. They think it's a high chance, but. But it's just ironic because it's like, how exactly do you think that that's going to be enforced in the long term? Like if they get banned or whatever and people stock up on them now, like I guarantee you, you're going to start seeing gas stations, drugstores, that kind of thing, sell out of menthol cigarettes, you know, pretty quickly. And it's like, what happens when people build these stockpiles and are either selling them to people or they're smoking them themselves. And then you get uh, pulled over for smoking a Newport and you either get arrested or capped. Like they're to, it's just like they're doing stuff that's completely counterintuitive to everything that they're saying. Like on national TV, they're saying that they, there's too many African Americans that are incarcerated that African Americans are the most incarcerated race out of anybody else in this country and that that, that needs to change. But now um, you're going to ban, quote unquote, the cigarettes that they like to smoke, and then you're going to arrest them and jail them for smoking them. Um, so I don't see exactly how that accomplishes the end goal of, uh, of freeing all these African Americans that are in jail and it somehow is going to give them freedom. It's just completely and utterly counterintuitive to the end goal. And it's the, the same thing that goes with marijuana. I don't understand how you're going to sit up there and say that you're going to legalize marijuana at the federal level, but the person that you voted in office as vice president, she's known for her time as an attorney general for disproportionately jailing black folks for smoking weed. So it, it, just nothing about this makes any sense at all to me. 
Yeah, and they're not even talking about banning tobacco products entirely. They just want to ban specific. Yeah, so it's like it's not even... They're going to tell you it's about uh, the health of Americans, but specifically African Americans. But people can still smoke tobacco products. Like, you could still go and get a vape or or, or buy normal Dip, tobacco yeah. cigarettes or normal cigars or or whatever you want. They're just banning flavored ones, which it's just like it, it, if it was really about your health, you'd just ban tobacco products entirely, but that's not what it's about. It's just more blatant racism disguised as uh, some virtue to be upheld. Yeah, and we saw a similar thing a few years ago uh, when the FDA was bullying Juul the e-cigarette you guys know into pulling all these flavors off the market they had like mango vanilla all this other stuff and they pulled everything off the market or they were forced to basically uh, except for menthol and tobacco flavor and you know of course this is stupid because they're still regular cigarettes uh but even it it gets way dumber when you really understand that the vaping market and the methods of vaping are so vast that Juul is banned from making these flavors, but all these other gas station brands seem to just pop up overnight and have whatever Juul used to have. And furthermore, a lot of these post-regulation vaping products are owned by big tobacco brands. And like, there's still like vape shops and you can still get different, they're called mods uh, or like different, you know, just vaping systems in general. To where it's a lot cheaper than these these jewels, at least to get into, or I'm sorry, at least over time, it's cheaper to get the jewel. But the main argument against the jewel, I guess, is that it was in a gas station. But now there are already, like I said, there's already uh, other gas station brands, and there's tons of them. There's like ten of them now. Well, the the main argument again, there are two main arguments against Juul. The first one was that it was it was available at convenience stores like gas stations, which made it easier for teenagers to kind of just walk in and buy them whenever they wanted. Um, which isn't true. Th- yeah, it's not true because it completely disregards the fact that most gas stations will will card you and make sure and that so you're above the age shop. of eighteen. Yeah, and so will vape shop. But the second issue that was uh, prevalent with Juul was that uh, they, for some reason, believed that Juul was specifically targeting underage smokers, which I don't, I don't understand. They were, they were saying it was about the packaging and the packaging looked cool and like all this other. And it's like, if you've ever seen a package for a Juul, it's very like blatant. It has a picture of the device on the front. It says Juul. And then on the back, it's a description of how the device works. And then um, at the time when flavored pods were available, it had a list of all the different flavored pods you could get. And that was about it. But it was a very like it was a very bland packaging. And and they were saying that like kids were getting addicted to nicotine without knowing that it had it and all this other stuff. And it's like, dude, literally on the box, it says like contains nicotine surgeon general warning, like that kind of thing, because it was a tobacco product. Even to just to get it on shelves, it had to have that warning on it. So this whole law, I this whole lawsuit against Jewel was just stupid to begin with because the lawsuit against Jewel was mainly because Jewel was pulling in so much income from selling their devices and selling pods because because their pods were so expensive. They came in packs of four, but you were paying twenty five or thirty dollars for pods, and they'd last you maybe a day, day and a half per pod. 
So you're spending 25 to 30 bucks every three or four days on pods. But Jewel is making so much money off of selling their devices and selling pods to people that uh, these bigger tobacco companies were mad because Jewel was the little guy that had just entered the game and was taking away all of their money on cigarette sales. And so many people believe that that lawsuit against Jewel that got their flavored pods and stuff removed was a lawsuit that was devised by bigger tobacco companies to push them out of the market space because um, obviously cigarette brands like Newport and Marlboro and, and, and brands like that, they just have normal tobacco cigarettes or uh, menthol cigarettes or whatever um, and didn't have any of these fancy flavors that attracted other individuals. And so they were mad about that and mad because somebody else thought of it before they did. Um, and then they devised that lawsuit to push Juul out of the market space. But now Juul is not as popular. They've gotten their income back. And uh, now it's just going to be interesting because now these big tobacco companies that have had the backs of the uh, the liberals and the Democrats for years and years are now um, going to lose out on a, uh, a very big piece of their income as well because now they can't sell menthol cigarettes or they're not going to be able to in here in the near future. Yeah, they have to. The funny thing is they, you know, their tobacco companies, supposedly they don't support the Democrats banning their products or whatever. But in the end, you know, whether or not they want to shut other people out of the market, like in the in the case of Jewel, or they're just giving the Democrats money to turn a blind eye and say, you know, just be one of their supporters and, uh, you know, look the other way for ten years and not ban certain tobacco products so they can keep doing their form of business. Uh, the, you know, they're still going to give money to Democrats, and we see gun companies doing the same thing. There's a lot of gun companies that give money to Democrats. I I think it was Springfield that did that and then a lot of people were calling them out so uh, a lot of people don't buy their products anymore in addition to their guns uh going down in quality the last however many years but yeah i mean it's just a, a huge charlie foxtrot in terms of uh in terms of what's going on right now in like the biden administration announcing these plans to uh, ban menthol cigarettes because they disproportionately affect African Americans and and everything. Like I've seen so many tweets the last couple of days from African American folks on Twitter who are very pissed off about a lot of this stuff, and um, especially with this announcement about the the cigarette bans and stuff like that. It's just like when does when does any of this stop? Like it's it's just it's getting way out of hand and it's gotten way out of hand way too quickly. It's to the point where we're just past his 100 day mark in office and he's doing all of this unconstitutional stuff um, and it just keeps continuing. And so obviously that's good for our show because we're going to continue ha to have uh, some quality content to give you guys. But at the same mm. time, um, <laughs> we'd prefer if our show didn't exist because everybody had their individual rights and can do what they wanted. But uh, unfortunately, not everybody can have everything that they want. Um, so until that happens, you guys can continue to tune in week after week, and we'll continue putting out content for you guys. We appreciate you guys tuning in this week, and hope you guys were able to take away something from this episode and something from uh, what we talked about, as well as what Eric talked about in his little video that we played. Um, 
And yeah, thank you guys for tuning in. Be easy. Peace. Thank you guys. See you guys next week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Free For All podcast. You can find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure to follow and subscribe to the show and connect with us on Instagram to keep up to date with all the latest content. Peace.